Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. The announced retirement of Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy this week helped make one political reality clear. Despite his overall unpopularity, President Trump is winning, and the Democrats right now are reeling. The Supreme Court. Mr. Trump is about to shape the court for a generation by choosing a possible tie-breaking conservative justice. And he's already filled the lower courts with like-minded conservatives. How about the Republican Party? The president's approval rating among Republicans is around 90%. Elected Republicans fear criticizing him, and the party has become a cult of personality, his. How about fake news? Mr. Trump has turned that phrase, which initially referred to the phony Russian-generated stories designed to support his campaign in 2016, into an applause line now to discredit responsible reporting showcasing his misdeeds. How about credibility? If reporters faithfully fact-check the president's serial misstatements, they risk being considered biased. If they don't, the misstatements gain traction. Either way, Mr. Trump wins. The Mueller investigation. The president has succeeded in convincing millions that the investigation is biased, despite trafficking only in innuendo and not providing evidence. Then there's the economy. It is doing well. But it was doing well before he took office. Yet with unemployment down and jobs being created, President Trump is getting this credit. Still, much of Mr. Trump's success is superficial. While he's more popular among Republicans, the is shrinking. His trade war, North Korea, or the Mueller investigation all could turn against him and frankly could turn against him now like North Korea has. But if the Democrats' reaction this week to the Kennedy retirement proved anything, it's that the Democratic Party has not figured out how to succeed in the Trump era. So welcome back to the show. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk, urbanfamilytalk.com. And don't forget to sign up for our conference that's coming up in August. I really hope to see a bunch of you there uh, just so I can shake your hand, so we can uh, talk about marriage and family and really celebrate all of the things that we're doing at Urban Family Talk, uh, division of and ministry of American Family Radio. So what do we have for you this hour? Well, that was um, an interesting bit of audio by Chuck Todd talking about, uh, you know, he, he loves to do these kind of assessments of President Trump where he'll give him a couple of backhanded compliments. The economy is doing well, but it was doing well before he took office. Was it doing well like this? I think we've seen record, record improvement in the economy. And it would be great if Chuck Todd could just say, He's made some really great strides with his tax reform package and cutting of regulations, but he won't. Um, so he's talking about not just the Trump is winning while the Democrats are reeling. He says the Republican Party is shrinking. OK, if we give him the Republican Party is shrinking, which I'm not so sure I'd say it's shrinking rather than it's changing because you have a bunch of people who don't like President Trump. They are calling themselves Republicans, but there really were Democrats all along. They just got to be more sensible, more respectable under the cover of being Republicans. And now they've been outed. They're the same same viewpoints as Democrats. And now they have to kind of cordon themselves off because they can't stand to be affiliated with a party that really just wants to be left alone and given the opportunity to worship God and be free of government. They said they did. But ha I mean, you know, honestly, is anybody still thinking Jennifer Rubin is a, a, a Republican? Come on. So he's never talks about the shrinking of the Democrats. There's a movement on uh, Twitter. It's called hashtag walk away. It's started by this guy um, who did this video about how he was basically threatened with doxing if he didn't toe the line on some Democratic issues. He was threatened with doxing by his friends. 
And so he said, you know what? You guys aren't really my friends, and this isn't the way I want to live. If I disagree with someone, I shouldn't have to be worried about my personal information being sent out. So he started the hashtag walk away, shot a video, put some music to it, and it's gone viral. And so many other Democrats have tweeted out the same thing. They're walking away from the Democratic Party. Now, are they becoming Republicans? No. No, they're not. But they're walking away from the Democrats because the Democrats have walked away from them on so many issues. Gay marriage. Some of them, some, and admittedly, a bunch of the people in the walk away hashtag are openly homosexual, but they're walking away because they don't condone the violence. They don't condone the rhetoric. They don't condone trying to undo a duly elected president. They may not like Donald Trump on all of the issues, but some of them are actually turning into Trump supporters because of the way the Democrats are opposing this presidency. It's like we're in a perpetual election. We can't seem to get out of election mode. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about 2018's midterms. I'm talking about relitigating the election of the president of the United States. I didn't like it when some Republicans attempted to do it after Barack Obama was elected. Well, he's not my president. I thought to myself, well, who, whose president is he then? How can he not be your president if you're a citizen of the United States? He's the president of the United States. I was not an Obama fan, but he was still the president of the United States. And had I been on active duty, he would have been my commander in chief. That's how that thing works. So while you may feel like, oh my goodness, we've given the government over to a bunch of nincompoops, they're your nincompoops because they were duly elected. You got to put up with them until the next election and you should be motivated as the Republicans were in the midterms. Remember, we're the ones who gave Barack Obama the shellacking in the, both midterms. But it wasn't enough to not have him come back for a second term. And that's something else that the Democrats are grappling with right now. As unpopular as Barack Obama was with half of the country, he was still reelected. Now, part of that was Republicans' fault. We ran John McCain. Come on. What were we thinking the first time? Second time, we ran Mitt Romney. What were we thinking? Hey, if you don't run a candidate that people can get excited about, you stand the opportunity to lose. And that's what happened. And so now we're looking at 2020. And when I say we, let me, let me correct that. The Democrats are looking at 2020 and it's looking kind of bleak because they've got hardcore dyed-in-the-wool socialist Bernie Sanders who will still be alive at that point because only the good die young. And I'm not saying I want him to die. Just saying. He'll be around. He'll be thinking of cranking up another run. That They don't have the apparatus anymore with which to stop him. Not only will he be there, but other Democratic socialists have been empowered by Bernie Sanders' success. So instead of running hardcore progressive liberals, they're going to be looking at running socialists who they don't agree with. They don't agree with open socialism, not the older Democrats. Do you know why? Because those older Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, all those guys, Chuck Schumer, Harry Reid before he retired, they were educated in American schools before American schools were taken over by the NEA and run into the ground. They still remember the lessons they learned as children about socialism progressing to communism and communism killing hundreds of millions of people last century. They still have that information stored in their memory banks and they have a natural revulsion to open socialism. Now they're fine with dancing with it a little bit. They're fine with taking it out to dinner, sending it some furtive text messages keeping the lines of communication open, having a relationship back channel. They're fine with that. But they don't want to be running around with people who call themselves openly democratic socialists. They 
don't know what to do with this Ocasio Ortez. They don't know what to do with her. And she is clearly not who she says she is. I mean, so she says that as a kid, she grew up in the Bronx. But it turns out when she was two, her parents moved. And by the time she was five in school age, they were living in a much nicer neighborhood, not the Bronx. Now, she moved back to the Bronx after she graduated from high school, went to college in Boston, came back. She, uh, she moved back to the Bronx. She definitely has friends there. She has roots there. But she wasn't raised in the Bronx. She has presented herself as this hard scrabble uh, case when the reality is she's the poster child for the American dream. Your parents work hard and they bust it. And all they tell you is, we want better for you. Study, go to college, you're going to make it. And so she does. I mean, it's really that simple. She does. And now she's successful. And instead of her saying, this is where this happened for me. It didn't happen in Venezuela or Mexico. It didn't happen in Portugal. It happened here in America. And what I believe is that while I disagree with uh, you know, border enforcement, or I believe in open borders, or whatever, whatever the case might be, I can't turn my back on a system that gave me the opportunity to speak English and have ownership in the American flag and be a permanent part of the fabric of America. Why doesn't she have to say that? Because the Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Harry Reid, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, all of these ones, Maxine Waters, They're the ones that told minority Americans, you're not really Americans. You're African-Americans. You're Italian-Americans. You're Mexican-Americans. They're the ones who told young people in America, America is really a horrible place. It's a horrible place for women. It's a horrible place for blacks. Knowing good and well, the best place to be an American, to to be a black person, an Asian person, the best place to be a woman is America. They They taught these kids. Decade after decade after decade. And now these same kids they taught this garbage to are coming out and they're like, you know, I'm sorry, Nancy, but you're just not radical enough for me. Who do you think is leading the charge against having her be the next speaker? They hope to take Congress back in the fall and they don't want Nancy Pelosi to hold the gavel. She says, I'm a woman. I'm a progressive. She was just confronted about this over the weekend. Why are people saying you shouldn't be the speaker anymore? She's like, I don't know. I'm progressive. I'm a woman. And I'm the speaker now. And, and they're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're not. You're, you're not going to do it. You, you're not radical enough for us. You're, you're running around saying that we shouldn't run people out of the public spaces. We don't want that America you're thinking about. We want a new America that looks a lot like Mexico. So do you see the problem that the Democrats have now painted themselves into? They can't get out. They can't escape it. So they either have to splinter off. And this is what's so funny is they always accuse the Republicans of the things that they're guilty of. They say that Donald Trump has split the Republican Party and that we're going to go the way of the Whigs. The Republicans are going to, um, you know, anybody who's a clear thinking person is going to leave Donald Trump's Republican Party and create their own. And that's going to permanently damage the prospects of the Republicans for the foreseeable future. That's not what's happening. People who don't support President Trump are being marginalized because he has an agenda that's pro-America, pro-growth pro-constitution, and anyone who's not for that isn't getting elected. So even though Chuck Todd wants to tell his huge audience that it's, 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 you, well, it's a cult of Trump, it's a cult. Of, no, it's not. 
It's that people are single-minded in supporting him because we understand what he's trying to do. You know what Chuck Todd should be talking about on his show? I know. But I'm still going to say it. He should be talking about how Chinese venture capitalist firms that are owned by the Chinese government are operating within the United States and have been for over 10 years. And those firms offer venture capitalist startup money to firms in Silicon Valley that are doing the work of putting together artificial intelligence um, capabilities, advancing the work in the AI field, um, venture capitalist companies that are uh, advancing the work on drones. You know, I mean, who doesn't have a drone? We have two. We have one that's like a little, um, it looks like a TIE fighter. It's a Star Wars drone. And you can fly it around with this little remote control thing. And it's really cool. It not only hovers, it goes up and down. And once you fully learn how to work it, you can fly it around outside. I mean, it's, it's so cool. We have another little teensy-weensy drone that has a camera in it that you can fly around. So the, the actual um, the technology is it's so multifaceted. Not only can you use drones to deliver packages to people and to surveil people, but drones are now currently in use, as we all know, waging war in the Middle East. So guys who are in air-conditioned spaces in Nevada who are active duty service members are waging war in another country using drones. And they're killing people. I mean, it's, it's like not even a big deal. So China doesn't have the kind of brain power that we have. They don't have our American universities. They don't have our education system. And they don't have the kind of freedom that we have here because freedom breeds creativity. You don't get iPhones on the internet out of a country that's communist where you can only have one kid and then they force, forcibly sterilize you and force you to have abortions if you haven't been sterilized. You don't get creativity in countries like that. Communism doesn't breed creativity. So what they do is they're like, um, they're, they're like the Borg. You guys, okay, if you don't watch Star Wars or Star Trek, Star Trek, if you don't watch Star Trek, you're not going to get this reference, but that's exactly what the Chinese are behaving like. They can't create the technology on their own and they don't want to take the time to naturally begin with their industrial revolution and advance forward to a place where they have their own Chinese citizens creating the kind of technology that we have today. So what they're doing is they send a bunch of them over here. They're dyed in the wool communists and they work for the government. They start a venture capitalist firm and they go in and they infuse these venture startups with these brainy little, you know, genius American kids. And then in exchange for the venture capital firm, uh, the money, they get the technology, they get access to the creative development so they can jump ahead because they're behind us by like 50 years on some of this stuff. Trump is trying to stop it. The Democrats don't want him to because they'd rather we sell it all away than keep it here for ourselves and maintain our superiority. That's what Chuck Todd should be talking about. We'll be back with more right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Wildman, president of American Family Association and American Family Radio. You know, we only go to the Holy Land once a year, and that's in March. Last year, we filled up several months in advance. So if you want to go in March of 2019, it's time to look at the details. You can get a brochure from us at 800-FAMILIES, 1-800-F-A-M-I-L-I-E-S, option 5, and leave us your name and your telephone number, or go to TW holyland.com 
hwholyland.com. It's going to be a wonderful time in Israel. We'll go to the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River, the Holy City of Jerusalem, Bethlehem, Masada, the Dead Sea, and on and on the list goes. If you'd like to go with us in March of 2019, all the information is available at twholyland.com. Order a brochure by calling 800-FAMILIES, option 5. Up next, Carol Swain with two minutes to think about it. From poverty to professor, from GED to PhD, a bold Christian speaking truth to power. Here's Carol with today's two minutes. Hello, folks. Luke 9.25 says, What would it profit a man to gain the world and lose his soul? Recently, we've seen two very high-profile celebrity suicides. Suicide has become one of the leading causes of death in America. Those suicides of fashion designer Kate Spade and chef and TV host Anthony Bourdain came as a shock because our first reaction is to say things like, they were so successful. They had everything. Our society has so linked people's value to either what they do or what they have. I'm not sure if that idea came from an ad agency or what, but it's wrong. It's the wrong answer. If you're suffering from depression, it matters not how rich or successful you are in your career. In fact, the rich and successful can be more at risk of suicide from depression or other mental illness because they have access to any and all sorts of self-medication. Thinking the booze, drugs, or stuff will fill the holes being drained by depression and suicidal urges. Christians know that a hole in one's life that size can only be filled by the saving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Self-medicating never works. Whether you're in the church or outside of the church, get help now because your life is worth it. To learn more about Carol and the Carol Swain Foundation, visit carolmswain.net. And make sure you follow her on Facebook at Professor Carol M. Swain and on Twitter at Carol M. Swain. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program, everybody. Thank you so much for being with us. Happy 4th of July. Happy Independence Day. Happy America's birthday, if you will. Uh, I encourage you to take a few minutes to kind of look into just what our founders had to go through back before there was air conditioning, back before there was um, really the conveniences that we have now, the way we complain. I know I'm speaking from my my own heart here, y'all. The way I complain when it's 100 degrees outside, the way I behave when uh, it just gets to be too much. Over the weekend, I was like, oh, I had all this stuff to go do. And it was an effective temperature here in St. Louis, 110. It was 100, but it was 110. And I just was like unable to cope. I had my my iced tea, you know, with the mango flavoring. And I was sipping that. And I, I had a mint every now and again. And I would go from place to place and just a short, you know, 100 feet walk from the parking lot to the next spot. And I felt like I was going to pass out. So imagine the founding fathers who had really made themselves enemy of the most powerful nation on the planet, Great Britain, by declaring independence from them and the war and all of that, when they sat down to actually decide what kind of government we were going to have, they didn't want to have to be governed by a monarchy. But they knew that it wasn't going to be easy to create a system of government that worked where people were self-governed because they had never been done before. 
So they decided to take a roll of the dice on the Constitution, self-governance, a representative republic. And when you think about how horrible it just was dissension and everybody had their own competing interests, and yet they came together on it, they prayed about it, and then made the Constitution that we have, which has, had, has been amended and will probably be amended again. But they did all of that in 100-degree temps. And, you know, they had on three shirts and a jacket. You know, back in the day, you had to wear like a 1,000 pieces of clothing every day and those weird shoes and socks and everything up to the knee. And they did all of that and came up with a very imperfect compromise in order to start our country. And here we are, not from outside. It's not China or Russia or Iran that is destroying our Constitution and ripping apart the threads of this country. It's us. We're doing it because we have a bunch of people in this country who are so ignorant of what the founding was really about that they're literally ripping apart the best thing that's ever happened when it comes to a country and self-rule that's ever existed in the history of people getting together and having countries. So this week, it's a great week for us to stop and take a minute to listen to a podcast, pick up a book, and I'll have some resources for you. Uh, last segment, I'll give you a list of things that would be great for you to read or listen to on Audible. If you want to, Constitution 101 class over at Hillsdale is also really excellent. and It's free. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit more. But right now, I'm so glad that we're able to speak with Mark W. Smith. He's a constitutional lawyer, author of Duped, How Anti-Gunners Are Taking Your Freedom. Mark, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me on, Stacey. Okay. And happy so, 4th of July week to you. Yes, I know. I love the holidays. I have on my little weird headband and a little uh, like sequined hat that's red, white, and blue. Red, white, and blue dress. I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready for this week. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how it used to be you'd want 4th of July to fall on like a Friday or on a Monday. So you have like a three-day week. And uh, guess what? Now we have like a, a whole week to uh, celebrate. Yeah, I love that. I, and I know a lot of people are working, but we, what we normally do is, you know, the fourth is coming. So you either celebrate it the weekend before or the week after if it's the middle of the week like this time. But you can also just be, you know, incorporating the, the celebratory aspects into your everyday as you're going to work, which is what I'm doing all this week. I'm like, this is this is the way it should be. We should be very happy to have our country past yet another birthday, that we're still together, even though we're fighting like cats and dogs, that we're still able to be a country. That's right, and that's what the Founding Fathers wanted, right? The Framers basically wanted a celebration uh, every Fourth of July, so uh, this is what it's supposed to be about, celebrating the existence of the United States and uh, how we were able to overcome, as you mentioned in your intro, the the greatest military might that had ever existed in the history of the world as of that time. And yet these uh, people stood up and managed to win their freedom and did something positive with it. All right. So let's talk about, um, and, and I, I, so, I so agree with you, but I want to get to your book. Um, you wrote a book. It's called Duped, How Anti-Gunners Are Taking Your Freedom. And this is a perfect week for us to discuss this because a lot of people have been tricked into framing the gun control debate as in order to have more freedom, we need less guns. And I really... I find that annoying and insipid and ridiculous, but that is the conversation that so many Americans are having, as opposed to how can we shore up some of these really gaping holes that we have in our mental health care apparatus? How can we have the FBI and local law enforcement work together better to catch 
potential threats and individuals who go on to do mass shootings, et cetera, et cetera. No one wants to discuss the more difficult ways of stopping mass shootings. It's always, hey, you have AR-15s, give them to me. I want to take them. And also, I don't want to take them while I'm holding a gun. Just hand it over. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I write about in hashtag duped. And the reason why I called it hashtag duped was as a playoff of David Hogg's book, Hashtag Never Again, which mm-hmm. is essentially a ode to gun control. And you're right that, that at the end of the day, freedom comes from God. And for us to be able to exercise our freedom, we need to be alive. And the reality is, long before there were guns in existence, there were evil people doing bad things to good people, and good people were trying to defend themselves. And the best way to defend yourself in the modern era is having a firearm to protect yourself against the predators that are you know, prowling our streets, unfortunately. And you do raise an excellent point, which is, you know, I think the Portland school shooting is an example of that despite government's best efforts, the reality is government is not going to be there to protect you. I mean, in Parkland, we had an armed guard, Scott Peterson, refused to enter the building to confront the shooter, Nicholas Cruz. The shooter, Nicholas Cruz, by the way, was known by everyone as the next school shooter. Uh, the FBI was made aware of him, did nothing. The guy was almost kicked out of school like 14 or 15 times. Nothing happened. And then, of course, we have the shooting. Peterson does nothing. And then there were two unarmed security guards, one of whom, when the shooting broke out, literally hid in a closet. The other one jumped in a golf cart. Um, how appropriate for Florida, right? Jumped in the golf cart and drove away to hide from the shooter. And then when the police do finally arrive, you have Captain Jan Jordan, who's the captain on the scene. She refuses to permit the paramedics and the fire department to go into the school uh, to try to take care of the injured and the wounded because it was, quote-unquote, too dangerous. And, again, the lessons of Parkland is not that we need more gun laws. We have plenty of gun laws. It's that government police, despite their best intentions, are often too late or too incompetent to save your life, so you better do it yourself. Not only you better do it yourself, but you have to be prepared if you're a gun owner and you're carrying at the time to be willing to, to fend someone else as that story. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, where a gentleman, um, he might have even been a pastor, used his gun to stop a man who was systematically running around carjacking people in a parking lot. And he'd gone into a restaurant, shot a bunch of folks, and then he was outside trying to carjack people to get away. And the guy shot him. And of course, the news is not covering it at all because it's a good guy with a gun preventing more people from being killed. That's right. And that's one of, you know, it's, it's interesting how I talk about in the book Duped that every year about 32 to 33,000 people a year die in automobile accidents. And the, old, uh, the President Obama, uh, people involved with high, highway security, safety, thought that that number was really a crisis. But then I write about in Duke that the, the, the minimum number, the one that everyone agrees to, the minimum number of defensive gun uses in the United States every year is about 67,000. Some people think it's upwards of two, over 2 million, but everyone agrees that it's at least 67,000 times people use firearms to defend their own lives. That is twice the number of people that are killed in car accidents. And yet the, the liberals in the United States think that 35,000 people dying in, in car accidents is, is a crisis, which perhaps it is, but twice that number stay alive by virtue of guns at a minimum. And yet, of course, this positive use of guns, the defensive gun uses to keep good people alive at the hands of bad predators, uh, just 
is ignored. And you're very right, Stacey, that they don't talk about this in the press. They don't want people to know that guns are good. They only want you to read about how guns are bad because the elite urban, uh, you know, uh, the elite liberals in the urban areas like New York and Chicago, Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, they only want you to hear one side of the story that guns are bad. Uh, because they don't like guns. It's as simple as that. And yet they surround themselves with people with guns, of course, with their bodyguards and their metal detectors and their security. But the reality is they don't like anyone else to have guns other than their bodyguards because they can afford them. Well, and I, I thought it was really funny at the NRA convention, which I'm, you know, full disclosure, I did not make this year's NRA convention, but one of the, the stories that was viral on Twitter around the NRA convention was that Alyssa Milano, who's a gun control nut, showed up with armed security. And when her security guards were asked if they were carrying firearms, they said, you need to step back. In other words, we're not going to tell you what we're, what we're carrying. You need to get out of the way. So the person who was being forced away from her asked her, are your security guards armed? Because if so, how dare you have three or four guys with guns when you're advocating for no one to have guns? And she said, yeah, they're armed, but they don't have semi-automatic weapons. Well, of course they did. They were armed with handguns that are semi-automatic. No armed security carries a revolver. Like, what would be the point of that? And even if they were, it's still a gun, which is, totally negates her argument. But that's the kind of hypocrisy that we see from her. Rosie O'Donnell, um, the, the other one that's married to... Who's, who's married to Portia de Rossi? There's one of them that's married to Portia de Rossi. They did... Oh, uh, Ellen DeGeneres. They did a gun control march where they had no less than eight armed security printing surrounding them as they were joining the march and they were only surrounded by their supporters. I don't know why they needed guns in the first place or, or security. Right. And, you know, I write about it, this in, in hashtag Duke. I actually make a long list of those celebrities that are pro gun control yet surround themselves with uh, people with guns and bodyguards. I talk about Oprah. I talk about George Clooney, uh, Michael Bloomberg. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And again, uh, they are comfortable in a world where they get to have guns, but you don't. But most people can't afford to have bodyguards. Um, it's a luxury that most people can't afford. So we have to be our own bodyguard. And do you remember when we were growing up, there was the old uh, toothpaste ad that say nine out of ten dentists prefer Crest, uh, mm-hmm. things along those lines. Yeah. And I always say, look, forget the statistics for a moment. 100%, 10 out of 10 law enforcement agencies in the United States decide to use guns to protect themselves and the citizens that they're you know, required to protect. Why do they have the guns? Because they know, as the professionals, that the best way to save lives is with guns. That's why there are no unarmed security agencies in the United States, because guns save lives, and they know it. Not only that, but a lot of the deterrent activity that goes on across the country that we never hear anything about, because that's the nature of the deterrent, is that so many suburban areas are heavily armed. And so you'll see a statistic, like here in St. Louis, I remember so we've lived here almost 20 years, and over that time I can think of at least 12 times where I saw reports on the news that talked about how heavily armed the St. Louis County area is and how they put gun ownership at this percentage of homes own firearms. Well, that's something that the news is talking about because they're surprised that so many suburban people own firearms, but the announcement on the news acts as a deterrent for individuals to break into homes when the occupants are home. So most of the break-ins occur when they know the occupants of the home are not in the house because we have the castle doctrine in Missouri. So if you break into a home and the homeowner is home and you are inside the house, 
They don't have to wait until their life is threatened to use a defensive weapon. They don't have to wait. So it acts as a deterrent to crime. Meanwhile, in the city, crime is rampant, but gun ownership there is much lower and the Democrats control that area. So there's a lot of, of rigmarole that you have to go through in order to get a firearm. That That's the kind of statement that you're going to hear it here on this show all the time, but you never hear it on you know, these progressive radio programs or any of the normal television shows, they don't, they don't connect those things up for people. The reason there's less crime out there is obviously there's more money, you know, less socioeconomic disadvantage, but there's also more gun ownership. It just, it baffles my mind because it could save more lives. You're right. And you know, Stacey, you draw, you, you make an excellent point about burglaries. There's two types of burglaries in the world. There's cold burglaries where you try to break into a person's home, but no one's home. And then there are hot burglaries where people try to burgle the home when there's people home. And, you know, in places like the United Kingdom, where you have really no private ownership of guns at the end of the day, uh, you find that almost all the burglaries are actually hot burglaries because people don't care if you're home because there's nothing you can do to them because you're not going to have a gun to shoot them. So you have this very dangerous situation where you have criminals breaking into the home and you might actually be there with your family. And that is very dangerous, of course. But in the United States, where you have private ownership of guns, you find a lot fewer hot burglaries in this country, especially in the red states where you're allowed to have guns, unlike, let's say, maybe New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a much big, it's, a, it's a big difference, and I think you raise an excellent point about that uh, in your commentary, Stacey. I'm just glad you're out there writing this stuff. I shared in, in the different live streams, I put the link up from A.W.R. Hawkins article about your book, and he connects up a lot of the points that we've made today. I put that in there. I encourage people to get the book and understand how it, this it's a freedom issue. It's the perfect time to discuss it. The 4th of July weekend, we're celebrating our birthday as a nation. We are one of the last few nations on the planet who we believe in individual liberty so much that we train people to want to defend themselves and then we allow our citizenry their right to self-defense by owning a gun. It's a great time for us to reacquaint ourselves with not just the Second Amendment, but why. And your book does a great job of doing that. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Stacey. Always a pleasure. All right. Talk to you again soon. Mark W. Smith, constitutional lawyer, author of Duped, hashtag Duped, anti-gunners are taking how anti-gunners are taking your freedom um we are going to have in the last segment um we're going to hear some audio from president trump on free trade this is about more than just the tariffs the tariffs are that's the meat on the bone but there's side dishes galore in this fight over tariffs and intellectual property and american sovereignty it's all connected so we'll talk about that uh, and and we'll take your calls, 866-963-2037. Stacey on the right. you missed on airing the Addisons. 
I'll say this. What I think needs to happen is I think the husband needs to win now never in front of anybody because an audience always escalates the situation. Mm-hmm. It could be something real simple yes. that the two of you have discussed before, yes. but when you've got eyes, a second Man. set of eyes, I don't care who you're, it is. You're right. Right? right? You're it right. always escalates the situation. Mm-hmm. And you, you could it. you could say something the mm-hmm. way you would always say it, always talk about it, but one element this different, time, just having one person, right. now it's a performance. Yeah. Right. You see right. what I'm saying? Definitely. And so you always want to make sure that you don't do that. And so I yeah. think if, you know, speaking as a wife, mm-hmm. I want to know as close to that moment as possible yeah. in a way that protects my feelings that I have injured you. Tune in weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Central, on Urban Family Talk. It's time to call your senators. We need to tell them to put an end to the liberals' filibuster, switch to a majority vote, and defund Planned Parenthood. Call the Capitol switchboard at 202 224 3121 or go to afaaction.net. Senators respond to constituent calls. So call 202-224-3121 and tell your senators to switch to a majority vote and defund Planned Parenthood. Your call will make a difference. Just as David's mighty man, Benaiah, chased down a lion into a pit on a snowy day. Lion Chasers champions uncommon men and women of faith who are unafraid to stand up and speak truth to power in these dark and evil days. Never before has there been such a need for people of faith to draw a line in the sand with the sword of truth. Lion Chasers, the intersection of faith and public policy with Lonnie Poindexter. Weekday mornings at 10 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Turn on the news any time of day and stories of victimization flow. Every demographic group, every segment of society is a victim. Instead of seeing ourselves as righteous and forgiven, made right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we believe the noise and accept a victim's mentality. Victims cannot accomplish goals or persevere through life's trials and tribulations. The New Testament is replete with verses about who we are in Christ. Guess what? You are not a victim. You are a victorious child of God. You are a branch of the true vine and a conduit of Christ's life. Jesus calls you friend. You are justified and redeemed. You are free from condemnation and set free from the law of sin and death. You are God's workmanship, created to produce good works. You are accepted, redeemed, and you can do all things through Christ, who is our strength. I'm Stacy Washington. Find out more at StacyOnTheRight.com. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right. We are demanding from foreign countries, friend and foe, fair and reciprocal trade. We have been very much taken advantage of as a country. We've lost our companies. We've lost our jobs. They build a product, they send it in. That's why this is so beautiful, because this is as great as there is anywhere in the world. And we do it within our country. Mm-hmm. We do. And welcome back to the show. Stacey Washington hosts Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We are so excited. Monday, it's the first day of an entire week of celebration for the July 4th weekend, which happens to fall in the middle of the week this year. But that's okay. We can still have a great time. And I'm, I'm just, I'm pumped about it. You know, we, we have to be grateful. I, my favorite, well, one of my favorites is dance with the one who brought you. You got to know who buttered that toast, right? Who 
buttered the toast? Is it uh, the Russians or the, the, the Brits or is it the Canadians or is it Americans? Is it America? Is it a God-given constitution, a country founded on Judeo-Christian principles, a place that with all of our flaws and we got potholes and we have racists and we have thieves and murderers and we have drunkards and, you know, we, we have our, our fair share of every part of mayhem that you can think of. But we also have freedom and liberty, religious freedom, and we have the right to protect ourselves. We have the right to freely assemble. We have the right to speak our minds and to address our government officials. We have the right to seek legal redress against those who've harmed us. We have the right to be innocent until proven guilty. We have a lot to be grateful for. And if you just wonder, just think of people who live in countries where not only is there not enough, their government makes it so that even when there is enough, there's, there's not enough. That's North Korea, where one of their top generals gave extra food to his troops and Kim Jong-un had him executed for giving out food. Yeah. Now imagine that situation in the United States military where we, every day, our military throws food away uh, that soldiers don't eat and airmen and, and so on and so forth in, in our chow halls and mess halls and dining facilities. If you want to know good eating, just go to a military base and get signed on and go to the O Club, the Officers Club. Seafood. Oh, it's just, it's, it's magnificent. And on Thanksgiving, on the holidays, oh, they, they just show up and show out for those troops to make sure that they feel loved and wanted and appreciated on the holidays because they're not home with their families. There's just so much about our country to be grateful for. And I say that as someone I've experienced racism, I've experienced a, you know, all kinds of hardships. I've, I've had some pretty interesting interactions with our medical apparatus here in this country. And I still would rather be here and I'd rather it be America. And I've also been all over the world. I've been to Russia back when it was the USSR. I, I'll never forget riding on the train out of Moscow. We were headed to what was then known as St. Petersburg. And as we got further and further outside of Moscow, everything just kind of turned to gray because Moscow is a very colorful city and it's their flagship city. It's the, the city that's the capital of, of their tourism. And many, many people fly in there. And, and this is back when it was still obviously USSR. It was still a communist country. It was before the fall of communism. And I'm traveling through there as a kid, as a teenager. And we're on the charter bus headed towards the, the train station. And then we get to the train station. We get on the train. And as we travel further and further outside of Moscow, there are still, you know, obviously kind of like suburban areas, but there's not a lot of color there. And I just remember thinking, why is the city so colorful? And, you know, but as we get further out, it just looks so bleak. Communism. I mean, and there's so many examples of that around the world. And there are great countries that practice socialism. There are. There's no doubt about it that Canada is a beautiful country and that they have, uh, you know, very capitalistic bent and they, it's a great place to live. Plenty of Americans live as expats in Canada. But that's not the point, is it? The point is, would that work for us? And there's something to be said about who we are. We're Americans. So there's a difference in the way we think, the way we perceive things, the way we absorb information, the way we tackle problems, and what we know to be our rights. And so citizens in countries that don't have those rights don't think of themselves in the same way, and they don't think of their rights in the same way. 
we think of our rights in a way that it's unmistakable. And the reason you want verification of that, read the articles about the illegal immigrants who get deported back to Mexico and how they're shocked by the corruption and the graft and you have to bribe government officials. Nobody works for the government and does their job just because it's their job and they get paid to do it. Everyone works for bribes. And that there's no right to an education. There's no right to any, like here in America, we're, we get so offended. It's like, I've been in line at Starbucks for eight minutes. And you're like, so I'm not leaving. I need my Starbucks. I'm just going to stay here. You know, um, earlier today, our daughter was out doing something and she texted me and said, I'm on the way home. I'm like, oh my goodness, pick me up some Caldies. You guys, if you're new to the show, I have an addiction to this Caldies coffee. It's so good. It's, it's everything you need in life. And no offense to Starbucks because we still drink Starbucks because we have an 18-year-old. And when if you don't have an 18-year-old who's about to go to college, then you can't sympathize with me. But whatever your 18-year-old likes, you like because you just want to spend every minute with them. And so she loves Starbucks. So we do still go there, but through the drive-thru because I can't stand going into places that try to tell me whether or not I can I have the right to carry a firearm. I'm, I'm not going to play with that. But the drive-thru still works. But for me, when I have a choice, I love to go to Caldi's. And so she went and she was there in line for, she said almost 20 minutes. It was really busy today. And it might be because it was warm outside and you can get your coffee iced or blended. And so people were in there doing that. And she was there around the lunchtime. So she was there during the crush, but she waited and she got me two coffees and came home with them. It was really great to have some Caldies because I'm, I'm telling you, every time I've been out recently over the past three months or so, it's been with our 18 year old. So she's been dominating. She's been like, mom, I need coffee. And so we go to, we go to Starbucks. Um, and I, I don't love their burnt coffee. So I just, I want Caldi's. So I was having some of that today, but we, we just feel like, you know, we're so entitled. We're so used to our freedoms. And in some ways that is as it should be. I mean, if you've ever had, you know, a moment where you realize that your kids or your spouse, they're kind of spoiled, you know, you're maybe your maybe your spouse is complaining about something they're eating this doesn't taste the way it's supposed to. And then you realize, oh, the reason they don't think that tastes right is because they're used to the way you cook it. And then you're kind of like, well, that's as it should be because I make it fantastic. And that's kind of how it is for us Americans. We're spoiled, but it's as it should be because our country's fantastic. And for all of the problems that we have, we have in the past been able to address them with solutions. But right now we're watching the Democrats reap what they've sown with their They've been in a love affair with socialism for at least 20 years, possibly longer. And the more they've danced with it, the better it's felt. At first, they were just, you know, every now and again, they'd touch fingers or do a high five. And then it was, oh, we're dancing arm in arm. But we're, you know, now they're dancing. They're, they're not just slow dancing. They're twerking with socialism. And they're surprised that they're catching things. They've got socialism crabs and everything else going on. And, and what do they get out of it besides lots of shots and trips to the doctor? They're losing. So if they run someone, so what, what happens is they move further and further to the left. In response to Americans rejecting leftism, they move further and further to the left. It's like they're saying, oh, they're not rejecting us because we're too far to the left. They're rejecting us because we're not leftist enough. Well, now they're run up against the brick wall of socialism and the brick wall has spikes coming out of it. And every time they touch it, they get pricked and they're like, ow, that hurts. But instead of running away from it, they're like, well, we, there must be someplace else we can go. Now, the, and, and what are those pricks? The pricks are these socialists. They're young, 
They talk a good game. They're liars. But I mean, who cares? If you believe in socialism, you're ready for the lies. You want to, you want the lies. You're like, give me more lies. I need lies. These candidates are now not just pricking, but they're literally obliterating the Democrats who are, they're getting pushed up against the socialist wall. So what will they have to do? They're going to have to climb that wall and get on the other side of it. And on the other side is communism. And anyone who doesn't like communism in communist countries, they just kill you for disagreeing. But here in America, we still have, what, 400 million, 600 million guns, a bunch of Americans who don't, not only do they not like big cities, they don't like the ideas that come out of the big cities. There's still at least enough of those people to make the idea that this little uh, 28-year-old Ortez, that she can force this down the throats of Americans, it's not happening. So they'll keep dancing with it. Remember in the 70s, they were bombing places. They were putting, you know, incendiary devices around and bombing and doing all this violent activity because they weren't getting their way. They're raising the level of rhetoric to that same kind of fever pitch right now. Donald Trump just isn't someone that they oppose. He's uh, he's a terrorist. He's he's kidnapping children. This was all going on during the Obama administration. They never said anything. Now, never mind that he's reversed the policy and he's calmed everything down and they're trying like the Dickens to handle the onslaught. It's, it's not good enough because it's not about those kids. Remember when I told you that the fight over immigration and the DACA recipients wasn't about the DACA recipients? And then Donald Trump made the Democrats admit that it wasn't about the DACA recipients? Remember he said, I'll give not just the 800,000 amnesty. I'll give 1.8 million of them amnesty. Then he upped it from there and said he'd give 3.6 million potential DACA recipients, dreamers, and anyone else who missed the deadlines to apply. All of them would get a pathway to citizenship. All the Democrats had to do was agree to end chain migration and go to a merit-based system. If it was about the DACA recipients, they would have said yes. They would have said, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this demon Donald Trump is giving us what we want, but we better take it while the iron is hot because we care about these DACA recipients and we want them to be safe and free from the threat of deportation. When's the last time you heard anything about DACA recipients from a Democrat? Yeah, that silence is you haven't. You're not going to. Because they've moved on. They no longer care about the DACA recipients because they couldn't get what they wanted out of supporting them. Now they care about the children at the border. If Donald Trump, he already has, the the Republicans already proposed, we give not only the DACA recipients get amnesty, but we're going to stop separating kids at the border. But we want the end to chain migration and mandatory E-Verify. And the Democrats blinked again. How many more examples do we as Americans need before we realize that these people, none of the individuals they claim to care so much about, do they care about? They don't care about people who've been killed with gun violence. They don't care about DACA recipients. They don't care about dreamers. They don't care about the children at the border. They're talking about it because they feel like it will be something that will motivate their voters to prevent a red wave. Remember, they thought, by now, if, if the Democratic playbook worked, well, first of all, they, none of this would be happening because Hillary Clinton would be president. But in the absence of a Hillary Clinton presidency, 
right now where they're supposed to be on their timeline is Donald Trump should be experiencing impeachment hearings. The Republicans should be on the ropes. They're defending their party. They're defending the president. He looks like he's going to be kicked out in order to get rid of the problem that they have with this man sitting up there on TV every day in these open Senate hearings, answering all these questions about extramarital affairs and collusion with Russians, that they would impeach him and get rid of him. And then Mike Pence would be the president. But in the process, they would lose the House. They would lose the Senate because Americans would be so ticked off at this president and his party. That's what's supposed to be happening right now. Lisa Page, Peter Strzok, all of those individuals, uh, Jim Comey, they all set this thing up so that they could bring about that result. But instead, booming economy, near full employment, all kinds of discussion about a possibility, which, I mean, obviously it was never, it was never a sure thing, but some kind of normalized relations with Korea, you know, tax reform. I mean, there's just all these discussions going on. Americans are really just paying attention to their wallets and their investments and their opportunities, scheduling vacations, getting together, doing things with their extended family. They're not thinking about impeaching Donald Trump. And I don't care how many times Chuck Todd says that President Trump is unpopular. It doesn't mean that he's unpopular enough that Americans want to see him removed from office. Even Democrats who dislike the president, I'm talking regular people, aren't interested in seeing him impeached and starting over with our government. And that's why you hear this rhetoric. That's why we now need bodies on the line. We need people to be ready to die. Because their timeline is not just messed up. It's like they're afraid they're in an alternative universe. And the only way out is to get crazier and crazier and crazier. We have to pray that they don't succeed. We have to pray that these people are going to be thwarted, not allowed to do what they've tried to do. All right. That's the show for today. We'll be back to you tomorrow. Happy week of the 4th of July and God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of Urban Family Talk, Urban Family Communications, or American Family Association.